64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor, SF Walker. I'm here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. And today we look at the rational optimist. How Prosperity Evolves by Matt Ridley. In this video, we look at various insights into the benefits of change. This is not a book of unthinking praise or condemnation on all markets. But it is an inquiry into how the market process of exchange and specialization is older and fairer than many think. And it gives vast reason for optimism about the future of the human race. We look at rational optimist. Rational because what we discover here is an optimism, not true temperament or instinct. But by looking at the evidence. Stick around till the end, as I will share with you a way to become more optimistic about your ability to change, to improve, how to specialize yourself. By looking at some evidence about yourself and your personality, you will discover evidence as to why you do the things you do and what truly motivates you behind the scenes. And look at these innate human needs we're sometimes not even consciously aware of. This awareness will help you grow so you can benefit from change. I need to convince you that human progress has, on balance, been a good thing, and that despite the constant temptation to moan, the world is a good place to live, as good a place as it has ever been for an average human being, even now in deep recession, that it is richer healthier and kinder too. And it is much because of commerce, as much as commerce, as despite it. I'm going to explain why and how it got that way. And finally, I intend to see whether it can go on getting better. Since 1800, the population of the world has multiplied six times, yet average life expectancy is more than doubled, as and real, real income has risen more than nine times. Taking a shorter perspective, in 2005, compared to 1955, the average human being on planet Earth earned nearly three times as much money, corrected for inflation, ate one-third more calories of food, buried one-third as many of her children, and could expect to live one-third longer, 50 years. A person who was likely to die 
person was less likely to die as a result of war, murder, childbirth, accidents, tornadoes, flooding, famine, whooping cough, tuberculosis, malaria, diphtheria, typhus, typhoid, measles, smallpox, polio. A person was less likely at any given age to get cancer, heart disease, or stroke. A person was more likely to be literate and to have finished school. You were more likely to own a telephone, a flush toilet, a refrigerator, and a bicycle. All this during a half century when the world population has more than doubled so that far from being rationed by population pressure, the goods and services available to the people of the world have expanded. It is by any standard an astonishing human achievement. Time, that is the key. Forget dollars, quarry shells, or gold. The true measure of something's worth is the hours it takes to acquire it. If you have to acquire it for yourself, it usually takes longer than if you get it ready-made by other people. And if you can get it made efficiently by others, then you can afford more of it. As light becomes cheaper, so people used more of it. The average Briton today consumes roughly 40,000 times as much artificial light as he did in 1750. He consumes 50 times as much power and 250 times as much transportation measured in passenger miles traveled. This is what prosperity is. The increase in the amount of goods or services you can earn with the same cost, the equivalent amount of work. As late as the mid-1800s, a stagecoach journey from Paris to Bordeaux cost the equivalent of a monthly wage. Today the journey costs a day or so and is 50 times as fast. A half a gallon of milk cost the average American 10 minutes of work in the 1970s, but only 7 minutes in 1997. A three-minute phone call from New York to Los Angeles cost 90 hours of work at the average wage in 1910. Today, it costs less than two minutes. A kilowatt hour of electricity costs an hour of work in 1900s in five minutes today. Now, healthcare and education are among the few things that cost more in terms of hours worked now than they did in the 1950s. Think about that for a second. Do me a favor in the comments below. Please do write. What are your thoughts? Why do you think this is the case for healthcare and education? As necessities and luxuries get cheaper, do people actually get happier? A small cottage industry grew up at the turn of the 21st century, devoted to the subject of the economics of happiness. It started with the paradox that richer people are not necessarily happier people beyond a certain level of per capita income. Money did not seem to buy subjective well-being. As books and papers cascaded out of the academy. Schadenfreude sat in on a grand scale among commentators, happy to see 
the unhappiness of the rich confirmed. Politicians latched on and governments from Thailand to Britain began to think about how to maximize gross national happiness instead of gross national product. British government departments now have well-being divisions. As a result, King Wangchuk of Bhutan is credited with having been the first to get there in 1972 when he declared economic growth as secondary to national well-being. If economic growth does not produce happiness, said the new wisdom, then there was no point in striving to, for prosperity and the world economy should be brought to a soft landing at a reasonable level of income. Or as one economist puts it, the hippies were right all along. Is it possible that not just the recent credit boom, but the entire post-war rise in living standards was a Ponzi scheme made possible by the gradual expansion of credit that we have in effect grown rich by borrowing the means from our children and that a day of reckoning is now at hand. It is certainly true that your mortgage is borrowed. We are a saver somewhere else, perhaps in China, from your future self who will pay it off. It is also true that on both sides of the Atlantic that your state pension will be funded by your children's taxes, not by your payroll contribution, as so many still believe. It is a very typical human behavior. By the age of 15, chimpanzees have produced about 40% and consumed about 40% of the calories they will need during their entire lives. By the same age, human hunter-gatherers have consumed about 20% of their lifetime calories but produced just 4%. More than any other animal, human beings borrow against their future capabilities by depending on others in their early years. Why, asks Jeffrey Miller, would the world's most intelligent primate buy a Hummer H1 Alpha sport utility vehicle, which seats four, gets 10 miles to the gallon takes 13.5 seconds to reach 60 miles and it sells for $139,771. Because he answers, human beings evolved to strive to signal social status and sexual worth. What this implies is that far from being merely materialistic, human consumption is already driven by a sort of pseudo-spiritualism that seeks love, heroism, and admiration, yet this thirst for status then encourages people to devise recipes that rearrange the atoms, electrons, or photons of the world in such a way as to make useful combinations for other people. Ambition is transmuted into opportunity as a board generalization. The more people trust each other in a society, the more prosperous the society is. And as trust grows, it seems to precede the income growth. Do me a favor in the comments below. Tell me what do you think is happening with the trust in the world right now?
strong governments are by definition monopolies and monopolies always grow complacent stagnant and self-serving monarchs love monopolies because where they cannot keep them for themselves they can sell them they can grant them to favorites and then tax them they also fall for the perpetual fallacy that they can make business work more efficiently if they plan it rather than allow and encourage business to evolve the scientist and historian Terence Keeley points out that the entrepreneurs are rational and if they find out that wealth can more easily be stolen than created then they will steal it humanity's great battle over the last 10,000 years has been against a battle against uh, a battle against monopoly everybody knows that the population of the earth is growing but remarkably few people seem to know that the rate of increase in the world population has been falling since the early 60s and that the raw number of new people added each year has been falling since the late 1980s as the environmentalist Stuart Brand puts it most environmentalists still haven't got the word worldwide birth rates are in free fall on every part and in every continent and in every culture even Mormon the birth rates are heading down they do reach replacement level and then they keep on dropping this is happening despite people living longer and thus swelling ranks of the population for longer and despite the fact that babies are no longer dying as frequently as they did in the early 20th century population growth is slowing even while death rates are falling human beings are species that stops its own population expansion once the division of labor reaches the point at which all individuals are over trading goods and services with each other rather than trying to be self-sufficient the more independent a well-off one will become the more population will stabilize well within the resources of the planet as Ron Bailey puts it in complete contradiction of Gerrit Hardeen there's no need to impose coercive population control measures economic freedom actually generates a benign invisible hand of population control whereas the 19th century saw a rash of new ways to move people about railways bicycles cars steamships the 20th century saw the rash of new ways to move information about telephones radio satellites television mobile telephones admittedly the telegraph came long before the airplane but the general point stands the satellite is a new example of the technology invented as a byproduct of a transport project space travel which found a use in communication instead the inescapable fact is that the most technological change comes from attempts to improve existing technology the later stages of industrial revolution are full of examples of technologies that developed in remarkable ignorance of why they even worked this was especially true in the biological world aspirin was curing headaches for more than a century before anybody had the faintest idea of how penicillin the ability to kill bacteria was finally understood around the time bacteria learned to defeat it lime juice was preventing scurvy centuries before the discovery of vitamin C 
Food was being preserved by canning, long before anybody had any germ theory to explain why it helped. Perhaps money is the answer to the question of what drives the innovation engine. Exchange, the perpetual innovation machine that drives the economy, owes its existence not mainly to science, which is its beneficiary more than its benefactor, nor to money, which is not always a limiting factor, nor to patents, which often get into the way, nor to government, which is bad at innovation. It is not a top-down process at all. Instead, what I'm trying to persuade you is that one word will suffice to explain this conundrum. Exchange. It is the ever-increasing exchange of ideas that causes the ever-increasing rate of innovation in the modern world. Go back to the word spillover, the characteristic feature of a piece of new knowledge, whether practical or esoteric, whether technical or social, is that you can give it away and you can still keep it. You can light your tapper at Jefferson's candle without darkening him. You cannot give away your bicycle and still ride it, but you can give away the idea of the bicycle and still retain it by spilling over. Innovation meets other inf information and mates with them. The history of modern world is a history of ideas meeting, mixing, mutating. And the reason that economic growth has accelerated so in the past two centuries is down to the fact that ideas have been mixing more than ever before, and the result is gloriously unpredictable. I've observed that not the man who hopes when others despair, but the man who despairs when others hope is admired by a large class of persons as a sage. John Stuart Mill said this. So long as human exchange and specialization are alive to thrive somewhere, then culture involves whether leaders help it or hinder it. And the result is that prosperity spreads, technology progresses, poverty declines, disease retreats, facility falls, happiness increases, violence atrophies, freedom rose, knowledge emerges, the environment improves, and wilderness expands. Said Lord Macaulay, we see almost in every part of the annals of mankind how the industry of individuals struggling against war, taxes, famine, mischievous prohibition, and mis more mischievous prohibition, creates faster than governments can squander and repairs whatever invaders can destroy. Human nature will not change. The same old dramas of addiction and aggression, of infatuation and indoctrination, of charm and harm will play out, but in an ever more prosperous world. History repeats itself as a spiral, not a circle, with an ever-growing capacity for both good and bad, played out through unchanging individual character. So human race will continue to expand and enrich its culture despite setbacks, and despite individual people having much the same involved, unchanging nature. The 21st century will be a magnificent time to be alive, so dare to be an optimist. And there you have it. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment. Share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So buy it and read. Never stop learning. 
especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website. Find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and all of your behavior. And if you do feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.